This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer. Fantastic to have you with us here on the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Catching up with Ludmilla Malava. She is our resident legal legal, but is still not immune to being scammed. She was sharing what happened to her recently and what you can do to protect yourself, whether it is financial or a personal scam. We're also in conversation with a healthy coach, Hania Mahmoud, talking about yo-yo dieting, how it can be damaging for our emotional health and our physical health too, changing our relationship with food. In conversation with Leila Al-Hassan, what makes a company truly parent-friendly? What are the benefits, of course, to the employees, but also the employers? We were chatting to former professional rugby player Matthew Tate. He's now there in the big seat at Dubai Rugby 7. So what is in store over that long weekend? And also talking about mould after a tragic case in the UK. How can we make sure our home is not a hazard? A functional medicine expert was on hand to help. It is time for your free legal clinic, Ludmilla Malava, live on the line as we look behind the headlines and go to the text line as well. So please, please, please get in touch if you do have anything on your mind. Maybe it's a case of not knowing if your legal problem needs time with a lawyer. Maybe you're looking for an expert second opinion and we're talking about it all today. Ludmilla, great to have you with us. How are you? I am well, sort of. <laughs> a little shaken up by all the different scams that are going on around town. Well, it's interesting. We've discussed scams on Dubai Eye multiple times because there seems to be a new one on a fairly regular basis. But you have been personally affected, Ludmilla, by something very recently. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, indeed. So over the weekend, a colleague of mine reached out to me and said she received an, a WhatsApp message from someone, recognized number, but with my profile picture and my name it was spelled out and trying to engage in the conversation. Uh, so so she responded, and then she re- uh, shortly she received another message from another number, um, another number, but again, with my profile picture and my name. And the person uh, basically ultimately started asking for, I can even read you the, the yeah, content. Yeah, go on, um, I want to hear it. money. <gasps> um, so, and it's interesting. So, th- and this is, I wanted to raise this because I'm, I, it's, it's less about me, but it's perhaps an indication of the types of scams that are happening around town. Mm-hmm. And I just think this is um, just for, just to raise awareness for people not to fall for any kind of scams. And particularly if they receive messages from some unrecognized number, but from that's behind uh, some, some recognized name perhaps. And so the scam here, interestingly enough, it involves iTunes, uh, or I, um, I think iTunes phone. Um, let's see, iTunes uh, account. What? And so, yeah. So the messenger said, "Let's see. I will just." So the messenger said, um, "Yeah, it starts. Hi, Neil. I'm sorry. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Um, quite interesting. But they, they ultimately asked you to go to a store. Here it goes. All right. Thanks a lot. Here are the details. Ten pieces of iTunes gifts." A gift card with 500 dirhams each of value on each card. So it's 5,000 dirhams. When purchased, scratch off the strip at the back of the cards to reveal the codes. Send me a clear and bold pictures of all cards here showing the codes before leaving the store. Keep the physical cards and receipts for reimbursement purposes. Yeah, right. So they have completely copied your name. They've taken the photo that you do use on your kind of, you know, legit communications. Yes. Oh my gosh. So you obviously 
that they were wise to this. They flagged it with you. Well, what recourse is that? I mean, I've had this on Instagram, people setting up accounts that are very, very, very similar to mine. So putting like an extra dash at the end or changing one letter and then asking my followers to um, engage with a website to, you know, sign up and any competition winners through, you know, at Helen Farmer will be announced through this, but you need to put your credit card details in in order to avail of your prize, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And people, people do fall for it, you know, whether that, because you're a person of note. Um, So what did you, obviously you you told your contacts that this is a, uh -uh. Um, but what, 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 what can you do in terms of making sure that scammers are alerted to the fact that you're onto them? And is there any, any legal recourse? Well, I think in terms of the main, the main recourse, and perhaps the, the most important recourse, I would say, is to raise awareness amongst those who perhaps are following you in your case. Mm-hmm. So they don't fall prey to these scams because somebody would have received, for example, a message with, with my photograph and my name, ultimately asking for money. So I, I, th- I think number one is to alert everyone, the public, so they don't fall prey to these scams or pray victim, fall victim to these scams. That's number one. Number two is, um, I mean, it depends on how you know, how far you want to take it. You ultimately can file an e- e-crime complaint, and we're looking into it. And and um, and you can file an e-crime complaint if the person who is ultimately scamming you on in the sort of in the uh, in the cyberspace is not mm-hmm. known to you. Uh, and then perhaps third is there's just to face so so to speak the person head on. Uh, by, for example, calling them and uh, confronting them, <laughs> Hi, which we have done. Hi, Ludmilla. It's done. the real Ludmilla. <laughs> Who are you? What do you think you're doing? <laughs> Trust me, we've, we've done that as well. And uh, so we called the person from a different, different number. And, uh, you know, and they were very ready and said, hey, listen, we're just looking for Ludmilla. And uh, it's just Ludmilla's number. Like, no, 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 it's the wrong number. It's like, well, it's, you have your phone has her photo uh, on it. And she had a very, very ready response. Oh, and there must have been somebody, must have been a, a, a wrong account or wrong number, or wrong photo. Uh, you know, it's a very ready response. So be it as it may, I just mm-hmm. wanted to raise it because we've had Thank a number you. of complaints and, and clients reaching out and complaining of these types of scams. So I think this is the time to really be vigilant and careful. There's a question here from Sabrine um, saying, I came across a post online of a woman being scammed and being a victim of fraudulent credit card payments. The banking question doesn't seem to be providing support in launching an investigation in this case. Is there a way to tackle it legally? Would, will the victim be liable to pay the charges even though they have been the victim of a scam? In theory, they should not be, but depends on how gullible they were and how far they went into the scam. Uh, because we have dealt with a number of these kinds of complaints, and you know, and often banks, the way the banks respond to it is, well, you should not have done this, and so you you also carry responsibility for perhaps for being so gullible. In certain countries, there's protection, there's kind of more or less uh, insurance and and uh, default protection for these kinds of scams. And banks cover the victim and then deal with the repercussions of uh, you know, the losses that they're suffering. But usually they have insurance mm-hmm. uh, in the UE for the time being. I see that it's 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 a more difficult pro- or perhaps the process that requires more proof. Uh, but interestingly, talking about the bank, this is another another incident that we had happened last week. And we're still looking into it is when we received payment from a client. And then directly from a bank that we have, for, for which we have received payments before, and yet we're getting an email from an exchange, some sort of an exchange, and then they saying, "Hey, listen, please fill out all these different documents." They sent us like five pages of documents that require us to submit our MSIDs, our trade license, in order to receive payments. Firm. What? 
So, uh, you know, we're not sure yet if it's a scam, but the client knows nothing about this exchange, says it's a compl- it's a scam. So, again, that's, you know, that's uh, to the listener's point is that these sort of banking scams happen all too often. So in this particular case, because obviously I am privy to a lot more of these stories. So I know better not to jump on and start filling out these documents. But you can see in a different person's case, we Absolutely. would have perhaps fallen yep. for it. The banks might use it as an excuse. Well, you know what? You were too uh, gullible <laughs> to have done this. So it's your fault. Ludmilla Yamalova with us this afternoon. Um, we have got question here, and again, no name on it, which is absolutely fine, saying, just want to ask, is it legal that our company HR told us they're not renewing our health insurance, but they may just pay in case we have needs for medical expenses? So that's to say they wouldn't have ongoing medical insurance, but if you need to go to the doctor, it could be, I guess, on a pay-and-claim basis. What does this sound like, Ludmilla? So it depends on two things. One, most importantly, which emirate they're in. And then two, whether the uh, uh, the provision of health insurance was um, a part of the contract, the original contract. Uh, and so this is because for the time being, Dubai and Abu Dhabi are the two emirates uh, that require health insurance for companies to provide health insurance to their employees. But other emirates do not have similar laws for the time being. However, if there is a contract or an original contract or offer letter, or even at some point in time, there was an amendment to the contract by virtue of the company offering health insurance to the employees as an additional benefit, then that too would be binding and enforceable. And for that particular agreement to be amended, it cannot be done unilaterally. It would have to have agreement of the employees as well. Okay. Uh, but um, if they are in other Emirates by default, that same law that we rely on in, the, in, in Dubai does not apply in other Emirates. Anonymous listener, if you want to get in touch and share a bit more information on that, by all means, do. Um, Ludmilla, FIFA World Cup, a tiny tournament kicked off last night. Uh, we have been hearing in the ARN news reports some suggested guidelines from FIFA, from host nation Qatar. And I wondered if you were able to tell us about some of the legal implications that fans need to know, whether it's on the ground in Dubai, but more likely when attending matches and being around some of the fan zone areas in Qatar. Yeah, so I'd say, uh, in particular for those FIFA spectators, they're visiting the UAE, and that's where I can really provide a, a, some some advice. Uh, and there, I, I break it up into two categories. One is for those who are considering to coming to the UAE, so things you do not do prior to coming to the UAE, and then things you don't do while you're in the EU in the UAE. So things you don't do or, or things you be mindful of prior to coming to the UAE. One, obviously, is to make sure that the passport is has at least six months validity. Uh, a lot of people don't know that. Uh, two is make sure that you have the right kind of visa and that you know the duration of your visa so as not to overstay and be subject to fines. Uh, three, and if I may say so, and I'm going to be careful about the, the words I use on radio, is try not to bring any kind of prohibited substances in whatever form. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's because any kind of recreational drugs in the UAE are very much illegal. Uh, and the UAE government is rather effective and vigilant about apprehending all such attempts. And so and being caught here in the UAE with any illegal substances is just uh, would lead to all sorts of unpleasantries and unwelcome lengthy stays. Uh, also, uh, yeah. similarly, we'll, we'll, we'll extend your drugs. stay, but you won't enjoy it. <laughs> Indeed, and the, hence the use of the word unwelcomed. Uh, yes. Um, also, prescription drugs. So the UAE has pretty uh, pretty restrictive list of prescription drugs, and many prescription drugs are either not allowed here mm-hmm. or require private prior approval. So if um, Anyone is coming here for lengthy periods of time and they're relying on their medications, so they need to make sure they change it to check the UAE website, government website, to see which medications may require approval. 
Uh, also, any kind of weapons are also not allowed. And, you know, I don't mean by weapons, just the actual, you know, the kind of the more traditional weapons that we think of, but also any kind of anything that might be used as a weapon, for example, swords, swords and any kind of special knives. Uh, so all that is illegal. So if you bring try to bring that into the country while you're entering the UAE, you will not be allowed in and you will be detained for the, the, that unwelcome stay that I mentioned earlier. This, by the way, includes even fireworks because fireworks but, uh, are considered to be explosives under the UAE law. So don't try to bring anything what you make deem to be fun uh, mm -hmm. elsewhere. Uh, and, in, and that, by the way, also includes taser guns, not allowed, um, and um, uh, any kind of pepper sprays that may include ban banned substances, substances, and by the way, any kind of vapes that may include banned substances uh, are also inspected, uh, and uh, you can't run into trouble if they have, if you're trying to sneak in something that should not be coming into the country. Uh, and uh, also any kind of, uh, again, I'm trying to be diplomatic, but the, the, the use of words I use on the radio is Thank the adult you. toys. Thank you for, um, for, and for any letting kind me of, keep my you know, job. <laughs> yes, me too. <laughs> any kind of graphic content uh, also, because that, that does violate your uh, uh, public morals and that also can lead all sorts of unwelcomed um, uh, inspections. Um, so other than that, I mean, that's, that's things to keep in mind prior to coming to the UAE. Now, things to keep in mind in the UAE, uh, one, obviously, is dress code. Be mindful of your dress code Absolutely. and things you can wear on the beach. Those are the same things in public. And certainly, if you're going to visit any government offices, um, you need to dress conservatively. Um, there's also, you know, hooliganism in sports is very much illegal in the UAE. And that's obviously the, the, why so many spectators and so many visitors will be coming into the UAE. And catcalling is illegal. Uh, dancing in public as well. Any kind of excessive public display of affection is also rather could be inappropriate. Uh, don't swear or insult, because that is very much, and that, that includes gestures, hand gestures. And be very careful about what you put on social media, uh, so as not inadvertently to offend and insult someone. Uh, or you, you know, don't photograph just random people without their consent, mm -hmm. and certainly don't post any such content on social media. It's be all, very it's, um, it's traditional just, about... Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think... No matter how long you've been here, I think sometimes people do forget that they are ultimately a guest in someone else's country. And I think it's really, really valuable for anyone who's living here who might have friends or family coming to visit for the tournament for them to be briefed on this as well. So there are some great resources online. I do urge you to share them ahead of time so no one is blindsided by what is pretty obvious. Um, and as you say, follow the law, code of conduct, be respectful, have a great time, but um, please do so within the confines of, uh, of local guidelines. We're going for text line now, Lamilia Malaba. I hope you had a coffee because we've got an awful lot of questions to be addressing over the next few minutes. Let's start with divorce. Anonymous message here saying cheating spouse refuses to grant divorce. The couple have separated unofficially. Divorce is still in the works and the spouse seems to be reluctant and dragging the process because of a matrimonial property back home. Is there any way of speeding up that process if divorce is filed in the UAE? They reside in Dubai and have filed for the divorce in their home country. Are you able to outline any of the options there, Ludmilla? Yes, I mean, uh, without knowing much more than what the listener just um, pointed out. So it sounds like they, uh, one option is to file for divorce in the UAE because based on the question, it sounds like the divorce was filed in, 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 a, in a home country and perhaps by the cheating spouse. I'm not sure who initiated the divorce there. 
But ultimately, I would argue from the legal standpoint, the UAE uh, courts have uh, jurisdiction, original jurisdiction over this dispute and over the the divorce since the uh, since the spouses live here uh, and presumably have residence here. So the UAE courts certainly would have jurisdiction. Now, with regards to depending on where the home country is, the UAE courts, uh, compared to some countries, actually can be a lot more efficient with regards to divorces because in other countries, uh, there is often a requirement of some sort of uh, reconciliation and mediation and like a waiting out period. Uh, so the UAE doesn't have that kind of requirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it actually can be a lot more expeditious here. To, uh, uh, one and two, depending on the type of a divorce, uh, it's basically either either party can ask for a divorce. You just need to make sure that you ask for the right divorce. And it's not that the courts here will refuse a divorce. They will grant a divorce eventually as long as you are pleading the right kind of a divorce. Uh, so I'd say that's perhaps. And then also, if you're filing a divorce in the UAE, then uh, the property back home is ultimately out, becomes out of scope of this divorce. Uh, so it may be easier to finalize the divorce here and then use the judgment here as, as leverage mm-hmm. uh, or some sort of a settlement uh, for to, to deal with the property uh, back home. Okay, makes a lot of sense. And I really hope that um, that helps anyone who's found themselves in that situation. Of course, this specific message here. Thank you, Lyd Miller. Anonymous message saying, I rent a space at a club. It's on a yearly agreement. The space is rented and signed based on a typical rear reform, but I know the agreement is not registered. Can the club increase my yearly rent as they wish, or are there limitations on what they can do? Thank you in advance. Uh, the short answer is no, they should not uh, should not be able to raise it because even though it sounds like by by the nature of this agreement, it's a sublet perhaps and not your typical uh, rental agreement, which then therefore would be subject to a jari registration. So perhaps like a sublet, but but by, just because it's a sublet does not necessarily make it not subject to RDC, the mm-hmm. being the rent, rental dispute center or the rental laws of Dubai. Uh, so as long as the nature of the uh, the, the, the transaction is, is rental, it will still be subject to the same laws and the same uh, the same court, i.e. RDC. So therefore, uh, the landlord here would still be subject to the same regulations, same limitations in terms of increasing rent or not being able to increase rent for that matter. Uh, based on the viewer index. Okay, good intel there. Thank you, Ludmilla, because I think that kind of grey area is where a lot of landlords might take advantage, but uh, you are very much protected even in that situation. Um, a message here staying with property saying, a developer has sold me a property which was supposed to have a view to a monument built by the same developer. It was a confirmed project with a view showing the apartment layout and the sales and purchase agreement. The developer did not build the monument um, and is not willing to confirm the project, although it was originally used to promote the sale. This has impacted the value of my property if I want to sell now. Am I eligible for compensation? Hmm, not living up to promises. What uh, What say you, Ludmilla, on this? I'll tell you, uh, from, a le- from a legal standpoint and, uh, and, and, and um, I guess logical standpoint, uh, there is definitely a cause of action, and that is, and that would be based on a breach of contract, because a contract is not just the words and the statements that are put in uh, on a piece of paper. The contract is an entire universe of representations and promises and statements um, that were given and which were relied on uh, in uh, in ultimately finalizing that particular transaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in this particular case, it would not just be the SPA; it would also be this, the marketing materials, the brochures, the developer statements, the assurances. In particular, if it was the monument were to be built by the same party, uh, that is the party to the contract. But certainly there is a very strong legal argument um, that these are the representations which comprise the significant part, perhaps, of the decision making in wanting to purchase and invest in this property. And now that 
that particular promise had not materialized, the value of the property is, is negatively affected, and therefore there's a, a claim for compensation. A certainly legal, a strong legal argument. Uh, from the commercial, commercial side of things, you need the listener must be prepared to quantify the extent of the damage, and that is, uh, they need to be able to uh, have experts or be able to draw some other it. evidence yeah. as to what, how much they're losing out by virtue of this monument not being built. Ludmilla, thank you so much. Um, there are topics we haven't been able to touch on today. For anyone that messaged that we didn't have time to get to uh, to that question, we will put them aside for next week. Ludmilla Malava joining us every single Monday afternoon. And in the interim, Ludmilla, um, you have got a. Uh, <laughs> often copied but never as good as the original social media accounts um, talking about all aspects of the law um, what's topical what's in the headlines clarifying guidelines and uh, and helping in the meantime so I do urge you to check out Ludmilla um, and what are you going to do about that scammer what's uh, what's the last plan of action yeah. Ludmilla we are looking into uh, into filing an e-crime complaint so as we go through the process since I'm going to be uh, the actual the party to the case I certainly will update our listeners oh, uh, about how, what the process is lo- <laughs> looks like and, and the possible, hopefully, positive results. Yeah, do keep us posted. I mean, they are very brave slash foolish to mess with you. I can't wait to see how this unfolds. Livmilia Maliva from HPL, Maliva and Pluka, always an absolute pleasure. No-nonsense advice, and you've got your free legal clinic every single Monday afternoon. <laughs> We're talking health this hour and you did it. You've changed up your eating habits. You've watched the numbers fall down the scale in response. You've lost weight then. Guess what? Life happens. You realise that following a strict diet maybe wasn't for you or maybe you couldn't commit to never looking at ice cream ever again. In short, you're doing what didn't work for you the first time around and you've gone back to your previous eating habits. You've gained back the weight. Weight loss isn't everyone's goal and nor should it be. But for those looking to go down, you know, a dress or pants size or two, this phenomenon, yo-yo dieting, can be downright right frustrating and honestly sometimes really unhealthy as well. So how can you avoid it and have a balanced attitude towards food? The award-winning Hania Mahmoud is a holistic weight loss coach. She's online at Healthy Hania and is on hand to take your questions and mine. And I say mine because, Hania, I'm pretty sure that almost everyone listening today will 100% have experienced some form of yo-yo dieting, whether it is those extremes of big, big weight loss and gain or something of a preoccupation with food and diet and numbers. How common is yo-yo dieting? Oh my gosh. Um, you know, this is something that I think is women were more vocal about it. So uh, it's, it's, it, it touches all demographics, but it's definitely something which is not getting any better with the diet culture and, you know, the Instagram culture, which is, you know, ramping. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with, with yo-yo dieting is that it's just not a realistic method of sustaining your weight loss. So the thing is, in theory, it's a great thing because you could lose the weight. But the, the whole idea to make weight loss successful is that you want to keep the weight off. Mm-hmm. Like there's no point. Actually, mentally, it's worse when you lose a bunch of weight and then gain three quarters of it back. Right. Which is really common. The, the vast majority of people who do lose a significant amount of weight will will put it on for exactly those reasons. It's the way they might have lost the weight wasn't sustainable. It wasn't emotionally healthy. So let's talk a little bit about, I guess, why some people yo-yo diet. 
and I've done it. Oh my gosh, of course I've done it. Same here. You know, same here. 40 years old, I've probably been yo-yo dieting for more than half of my life. Um, but I do see the attraction, you know, and I've just, I was just saying to friends over the weekend, I just want to lose a few kilos before Christmas so I can eat all the mince pies. Oh, you look fantastic, <laughs> Helen. <laughs> no, seriously. But, but, but we do. But we do. We, it, and it becomes this kind of ongoing dialogue we have with ourselves about about food, about good food, bad food, the numbers in, on the scale, the numbers in your, you know, your clothing. And I, I'm, what I'm really saying is for those of you who are yo-yo dieting, whether you label of that as such, I get it. Have you been there as well? Yeah, 100%. Like, you know, in the... In the 80s and the 90s, that was like a big thing, like yeah. just one after another. And you had the same version in like the current, you know, like keto and paleo. all these paleo, exactly. Intermittent fasting. And, you know, we we love sticking a label on it. We, we love having a tribe or, a, you know, someone that we... It's trendy, right? Exactly. Exactly. It is. Yeah, but it's yeah. also a trap. As we approach the end of the year and enjoy all the foods and activities that come with the holiday season, we also approach resolution season. Without fail, millions of us kick off the new year with promises to lose weight. But the evidence is clear. Drastic yo-yo diets fail. Joining us in the studio now is a holistic health coach, Hania, with us to explain a little bit more about the damage that we could be doing, not just to our bodies, but to our emotional state as well. Can you unpack that a little bit for us, Hania? Yeah, thank you. So the thing with yo-yo dieting is that it's too much of a sudden and drastic change to our eating eating habits. And the thing is, it's just not something sustainable. And um, we think because we're going to lose the weight, there's this uh, like misconception that, you know, I'm going to have this willpower to lose the weight and then get on like a maintenance program, right? Because that's no, everybody knows that we can't do the diet forever. So it's like, I'm going to lose the weight, 30 kg, and then I'm going to sort of like taper it, go back to normal. Here's the thing. Your body works like together with your mind. Like we think our mind, our mental and our physical are are disconnected, that we can control our body. It just doesn't happen that way. And when it does, it's like serious eating disorders, okay, when your mind's controlling your body. So the thing is, we have to work together. We have to be... Um, conscious and respectful of our body's needs like nurture the you know like people forget that we have a history of how we've grown up mm -hmm. like the foods that we've eaten and the flavors and the tastes and food is not just something you know I have a client uh yes yesterday she messaged me saying that um I was, I was coaching her around food and she said it's the first time I'm seeing food as a means of nourishment like like literally like feeding my cells and giving me health and life, not just uh, like what I'm going to look at as the final result. It's so it's so complicated. As you say, we've all have this kind of very intricate history with food and that can be to do with scarcity or abundance, the way it was spoken about around us. Um, and I want to come to a message which I think will resonate with an awful lot of people. This is from Sarah saying, I've spent years yo-yo dieting, lost 25 kilos this year in the run-up to my wedding um, and have put on almost 15 back. It's hard when people think you're just being greedy when in reality all I want to do is hide away and eat until I've numbed myself with food. I really need someone to help me when the urge to binge comes over me and to keep me motivated when I've done well. Help. Is that something that you do? Yeah, Sarah, please start following me. My my Insta is at Healthy Hanya. That's like 80% of my messaging is about this topic. So the thing is, um, we we can't just uh, block out our 
emotions with food. Okay, so food has become a ways to cope with our emotional state. And that's where we have to do the work. Like there's actually work we have to do like internally to to become that person who will keep the weight off. Mm -hmm. Because right now it's like a short term fix, like a Band-Aid fix to do a yo-yo diet. And then, you know, um, you've suppressed your emotions, you've suppressed your stress, you're not facing it, you're not dealing with it. And then it comes out in this form of overeating and emotional eating. The other thing is about the drastic diets is you're often setting yourself up to fail and then you do fail and you feel rubbish about yourself all over again and you get into this I'm not good enough you know self-punishment cycle and and one thing we're going to be unpacking next is how to approach weight loss from a place of self-love and looking after yourself rather than a place of punishment and Punishment's the best word I can think of it, to be honest. That kind of yeah, self-hate and, and yeah, destructive dis- behavior, right? Exactly. So, so I have something controversial I want to say. Like, I feel that there's a subconscious part of a person who is doing yo-yo diets over and over that is that knows itself they're self-sabotaging because we we innately know what's wrong for us and what's right for us. So. You know, we have to, I, I say, so that the foundations of like healthy and sustainable weight loss, I say are the, are the two S's. So self-love and stress management. So self-love is, what does that mean in terms of weight loss? So most women will be at the gym working off their butts because they, um, you know, they need to burn off the calories or burn off the cake they ate. And it's always about like making up for something. It's not about feeling good and doing something good for your body. Mm-hmm. So when you have this negative approach to exercise and food, even your whole um, development can't be positive. Like I compare this to a tree. For example, like a healthy tree will have roots which are solid and strong. So I call the, that the tree of like the self-love roots where your your intention is to create something beautiful. Like, you know, you like you're blessed to have this body, to be breathing, to be alive. And you want to create something beautiful from beautiful roots and foundations. And you will have a strong trunk and branches and blossom. Okay. If you have like toxic roots where toxic meaning like I hate myself I'm ugly um, I'm fat I don't deserve this uh, I'm gonna bury myself with food you know I might I feel very compassionate to the women who go through that because I've been through that myself I was just about to say it sounds like an internal monologue I have frequently <laughs> yeah so um the thing is your those roots are not are not good roots yeah. you know and you're always you're gonna be flimsy on the top sometimes you're gonna gain weight you're gonna lose weight you don't have a solid sense of self mm-hmm. of self-worth so the work is really internal like weight loss people think that weight loss is the problem but it's actually just like a minute there's a deeper problem to that and the same about weight gain you know this is often a symptom exactly. of things going on so I just want to give a bit of a recommendation on the podcast front actually and this was a, a podcast that took me by surprise it's one of my favorites it's called How to Fail and it's um, it's by a broadcaster, author, journalist called Elizabeth Day. And she interviews people of note, you know, celebrities, writers, politicians, um, all, all, whole, all walks of life. But on her most recent episode, she interviews her husband, who is his own right, very successful CEO um, in, in finance. And the format of the every show is they talk about their three failures they've experienced in life. And it's really humbling to see people who you think are an you know, incredible author talking about their failure to get into journalism school. And he talks about failure as an entrepreneur, but he also talks about his relationship with his body. And I urge everyone to listen to it. But men in particular, it's so interesting to hear how honest he is about how he 
edits and diets and doesn't like what he sees in the mirror because I think that's a very common thing for an awful lot of men and it's incredibly powerful to hear someone who objectively looks fantastic, looks very healthy, is very successful being that vulnerable. So it's called How to Fail. His name, I think, is Justin Bassini. It's one of the most recent episodes and it's just a very useful reminder that even the most together people are perhaps somewhat undone on the food front. Talking yo-yo dieting this hour, how to change your relationship with food as we come into a season where, yes, it's lots of celebrations and people coming together and holidays and getting out of routine. And then on the other side of that, talk of weight loss and restrictions and a whole new you. And suddenly you're going to find willpower that you've never had before and your life is going to change. Spoiler alert, (laughs) it probably won't. So how can you avoid the trap of yo-yo dieting? Have a balanced attitude towards food. Joining us in the studio now is Hania Mahmood, a holistic weight loss coach. She's online at Healthy Hania. And we were talking before about numbers on the scale, numbers in your trousers. And we didn't talk about calorie counting, which is something an awful lot of people do. And it's a really loaded topic, to be honest, Hania. But I wondered for anyone that has had, I'm not saying an eating disorder, but perhaps disordered eating in the past, why can it be problematic? So first of all, um, my two cents on calorie counting is that it's, uh, it's a good place to start. Okay, if you're relatively young, if you don't have any health problems, if you don't have any relationship issues with food, why not? You know, it works in a general sense, but it's too simplistic. Like our bodies are not mechanical robots that you put in this much amount of petrol and you're going to get this output or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. So the thing is, um, the way holistic uh, science looks at it is that your physiology your uh, more important than calories are actually the way your body digests and uses your food. So, uh, you know, there are, for example, people who can eat salads like every meal and they're still not losing the weight and then they think there's something wrong with them. So um, there could be like hormonal issues, which are also a result of, let's go back to yo-yo dieting, there could be a lot of uh, physical trauma in the body from going back and forth. Like it really, and it's, everything is reversible, mm-hmm. thankfully, you know, we just have to work on it and be uh, consistent. Um, but uh, yeah, so absorption of nutrients is more important. And um, along with that, calorie counting is just so vague. And I have a problem with the current uh, media approach of one uh, shoe, shoe size fit all like everybody needs to have this as a you know like a side salad or you know like three avocados a day or something Mm. like that like it doesn't work for everyone and it's not going to and and people get really depressed when they see you know x doing something and then it's not working for them a bit like my parenting motto great for you not for me like it's not it's not going to what what has worked for someone else is not necessarily going to translate to you because as we said earlier we've all grown up with a different lens a different relationship with different body type you're talking there about how our bodies digest differently so let's I want to go to the text line because I'm, I'm hoping your answer to this anonymous message might help an awful yeah. lot of people um, message saying thanks both I eat too much I yo-yo diet I think about food all the time it makes me unhappy I want to be free of it all I've got zero willpower when it comes to food I know I associate it with happiness providing love for people but I sit all the time feeling rubbish and guilt about what I've eaten in secret putting on weight feeling lazy etc 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 it's exhausting um, so I wondered if you could perhaps help 
anyone who might be feeling similar to that? Because I think it's probably an awful lot of people listening today. Yeah. You know, first of all, well done to the anonymous um, texter is that they are aware that they have a negative uh, pattern and relationship with food. Because a lot of people, they they just keep doing the same thing without really thinking of what their patterns are. Mm -hmm. So that's the first step to actually making a positive change in your life is realizing that you have something that you need to change. And then the second step is actually really wanting to change, like because we all say we want to change. Um, but in in practice, it, it's 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 hard because I'm going to point out one thing, and this applies to any kind of true transformation, like weight loss transformation, is that people think that okay, let's say I am person A right now, I have X kilos to to lose, I have these toxic patterns around food and emotional eating and everything. I want to be person B, which is. 30 kilos less, who is happy and control of their, you know, sort of uh, eating regime and likes to exercise. Okay, so that what needs to happen, people need to realize that you actually have to become a new person. Mm -hmm. That person B is not person A. (laughs) So just by changing your external, you're not going to actually change how you internally feel about food. So you have to start working on your internal. So for example, this lady, this, uh, this, sorry, this, uh, listener who has this relationship with food looks like a lot of her upbringing might be related to like food equals love kind of associations so she needs to maybe have a look maybe she could journal do some meditations around this topic of um where you know why does she associate that feeling and what can she do to sort of dissociate that Mm -hmm. food from love like you know, love, maybe she can get it from people, from, you know, she's to have a look at her life. Are there people it, who are making her life difficult, for example? There's some really interesting reading around this um, about connection, about addiction, can, well, lack of connection leads to addiction. And that can be alcohol, shopping, food. Johan Hari, um, give, him, give him a read. There's a great TED talk on this. But yes, it can, it, in food addiction, it's, it's no different to any other. I mentioned earlier the How to Fail podcast. I just want to play you a little clip. This is um, CEO of ClearScore, Justin Bassini, the husband of the host of How to Fail, Elizabeth Day, talking about his relationship with his body and food. I just don't think I look good. When I look in a mirror, I just immediately always just focus on the things that are wrong. Like, I think about what I eat all the time and I'm constantly like on a diet every time I have a bowl of pasta I feel guilty so I think it's really important to hear from a male a male voice um on that and if anyone is wanting to explore this further in the privacy of a coaching session or touching base with you and finding out how you do help people whether it is dissociate or change your relationship with food, change your relationship with body image, what's the best way of getting in touch? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at healthyhania, H-A-N-I-Y-A. And, um, you know, you send me a DM. We can have a chat. Look at my content to see if it resonates with how you feel and what you're struggling with. Uh, thank you for sharing that uh, clip. That was quite, you know, meaningful. It's really worth a listen. Um, how to Fail. It's the most recent episode. And it is, as I said, someone you'd hold up as being objectively very healthy, attractive, successful, talking about a struggle that he's never spoken about before when it comes to body image and food. So a really, really valuable one. Hania, thank you so, so much. You're almost welcome. It has been a pleasure. If you do want Hania's details, by all means, drop me a little line on 4001 and I'd be happy to send that over. Have a little think now. How parent-friendly 
is the company that you work for because the UA's first national workplace program recently launched across the UAE to encourage private, semi-government and third sector organisations to sign up and commit to being more parent friendly. This means different practices. But what does that actually mean for parents and what are the benefits to the companies to tell us exactly what it can mean in practice and some of the benefits to everyone is Leila Al-Hassan, an advisor to the parent-friendly label Abu Dhabi Early Childhood Authority. Leila, I am so passionate about this and I'm really, I guess, bolstered and encouraged. This has become such a priority and this is the second year it's in, it's in place and as I said, it's now gone nationwide. For anyone that's not familiar with that parent-friendly label, can you explain what are some of the criteria and what that kind of employee experience might look like if they are working for such a company? Thanks, Helen. I think it's really important that we first really define what parent-friendly workplaces are. And these are organizations that are so forward-thinking, that are progressive, that really get it. They understand that their employees, who are parents of young children, have really important responsibilities outside of office walls. And they adopt a compassionate and understanding approach towards their employees. This goes beyond simply offering a nursing room, which is great. And a lot of organizations uh, still don't offer that. I was that. just about to say, <laughs> a lot of companies still put their nursing mums in a pantry or a disabled toilet or, you know, yeah, worse. Yeah, and we're, we're trying to change that. You know, the parent-friendly label is the future of work, which is a hot topic right now. And everyone's talking about that. And the future is now. It's right here in the UAE. And we're looking at employers. We're looking to recognize and spotlight those organizations that um, offer this type of support to working uh, parents. So what, what else could that mean? Could it mean, I mean, parental leave, for one thing, comes to mind. How is that recognized and, and measured? Yeah, We're looking at five categories within the, our, the assessment of the criteria for the parent-friendly label. We're definitely looking at parental leave, which is maternity leave and, and pa- paternity good. leave, of course. <laughs> and, um, you know, we're looking for organizations that go above and beyond mm-hmm. what UA labor law requires them to do. We're also looking at culture. And there's a specific component of your organization's application, which is the parent-friendly experience survey. And we ask that organizations circulate that survey to their employees to really make sure that what you have on paper as a policy matches up to the actual culture. Yeah, as in, to someone's lived experience in that exactly, role. Exactly. As in, is your manager actually supportive of you as a new father going on those 10 days paternity leave? Is your manager consistently applying those policies across the organization? Mm -hmm. We also look at family well-being and family care. We have nursing hours that comes under that. You have child care support. Well, that's interesting because I think rejoining the workforce after giving birth or, as you say, kind of becoming becoming a parent is a very, very trying time. Um, I'm going to say that from, you know, twice personal experience. What what are you seeing companies do to help ease that transition? So again, part of the parent-friendly label criteria, we look at transition, which includes when they're off on parental leave, but also when they come back, which is a really critical time. And it's quite daunting for a lot of mm. parents. And what, uh, one part of your brain is so excited to be back in adult company. And the other part is the guilt, right? So we are looking for workplaces that have a policy that supports parents to ease that transition back into the workplace, especially for new moms. Now, I'm already thinking about some of the objections or challenges or attitudes that I'm sure a lot of 
parents have faced from their employers. And I wondered if we could perhaps speak now to the CEOs, the managers, the HR directors, and I guess convince them on why being labelled a parent-friendly workplace is a real benefit for them. So what makes the parent-friendly label unique is that it's really your first step to change, right? Applying to earn the label is at no direct cost to the organization. But also, it's your first step as an HR manager, as a business leader, to better understand your workforce. Mm-hmm. It gets you to understand what, where you need to improve. What are you already strong in? Uh, you lose absolutely nothing by applying. It just gives you more awareness about your own organization. And then if you are awarded it, you know, what have you seen in the last year in terms of attracting better talent or retaining talent? Because I think that's one of the really tricky kind of juxtapositions is that, you know, you become a parent and, you know, with a lot of people starting families later in life in, in Dubai and the, in the UAE because of, you know, career opportunities and delaying that, that sometimes you are just taking off in your career as your fertility is falling off a cliff and you've got this kind of strange crossroads. So you have got these incredibly talented people who are looking to find a like-minded company. So what what are some of the benefits beyond getting the label in terms of keeping those amazing people? We, we've really ha- heard some amazing employee stories from the six organizations that earned the label in the first cycle. And one of the, one, one of the stories that really sticks in my mind is this father who has twins, but he also has a third child who's on the autism spectrum. And the fact that the company he worked for offered remote working and offered these flexible working practices and was so understanding of a situation. But not only that, it it had it in the policy. So it was institutionalized within the organization. Mm -hmm. This father was able to support his children was also able to support his his wife in 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 supporting you know the newborns and the and supporting well, the rest of their children. Yeah, the practical side of the emotional labor as well. Exactly. I, and, but I think an that I'm glad role. you I'm glad you used a, a dad as an example there because when we think about flexible working, we often think, okay, you know, that's great. So mum can take the kids to the dentist, which is such a reductive way of looking at it because as you say it could be about caring for an elderly relative it could be an older child who might have additional needs you know it's it's a it it needs to be a family exactly a family approach is there any data then around productivity flexible working you know we've obviously come out of the pandemic and a lot of people you know looking to assess so with the first cycle being run it's a great opportunity for organizations to start tracking that impact Mm -hmm. what we have is anecdotal evidence of or of employees telling us that I, for example, received a higher offer at another organization. I choose to stay at my parent-friendly organization because that's what means the most to me, flexibility and understanding mm-hmm. of my responsibilities as yeah, a parent. the alignment of values. And that's how, exactly. you, that's how you keep people. That, that, I mean, that is company culture. You can give people free pizza on a Friday. You know, great, I'm, I'll take it. Don't get me wrong, I'll always take the pizza. But when it comes down to, is this a place that I am proud to say I yes. work at? Is this a place that is really sticking to that policy or aspiring to get a parent-friendly label. Um, are there any that you think you were able to, to mention now in terms of companies you think in the UA that are doing a fantastic job in looking after parents? So we can definitely uh, highlight the six uh, organizations that earned uh, the parent-friendly label in the first cycle, which were, uh, and the fact that they were from different industries really goes to say that it doesn't matter what type of industry you're in, mm-hmm. you can still take that first step. So we had HSBC, we had Mazdar, you had Etihad Airways, Abu Dhabi Motorsports Management, 
Emirates Nature, WWF, which is a which is a nonprofit, and uh, Silal, and they're all very different. Uh, the different industries, different sizes, but what they all had in common was leadership, leadership and policies and practices that really support uh, mm-hmm. their employees. And I think I think that's so true because yes, you can be you know I'm not saying ticking boxes, but you can be reaching criteria. But if you haven't got a manager or a leader in place who is living that and embodying it and saying, guys, do you know what? I've got to go and pick up you know so and so from school this afternoon. I'll catch up with this later on. And really. like demonstrating what that looks like because I feel like that's what empowers people you know all the way down Um, for anyone who want to find out more even apply um, have a look at the criteria in detail what's the best way of finding out so the first step is first check if you're eligible to uh, apply and uh, make sure that you're from the private sector third sector or semi-government so this is the parent friendly label currently is not open to government entities we're focusing on those other sectors and then the second step is download the applicant handbook off the website www.eca.gov.ae get familiar with the criteria and start that conversation with your HR team whether you're an employee whether wherever you sit just, in the organisation it would be such a baller move to be like just sending you this link to HR <laughs> anything you want to do to reach this criteria because exactly. but it is, it's through conversation like this that I hope is sparking some thought in people listening today going do you know what I'm in a position to make a change in my workplace or I'm in a position to make a request in my workplace that's where it starts and just, just do better getting aware under, listening to your employees seeing what their needs are and seeing what works best for you as an organisation all applicants, the beauty of this is that all applicants get a free customized evaluation report, whether you earn the label or not. So take advantage of this. It's 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 one step towards becoming a more progressive organization that's supporting the employees. Well said. Leila Hassan, thank you so, so much. If you want details of that website, you can have a read or indeed forward it to someone in your life. Um, by all means, do reach out. Abu Dhabi Early Childhood Authority there, the parent-friendly label in its second cycle. And uh, can't wait to hear about some of the people that are striving to do exactly that, to do better. It is an absolute pleasure to have you with us this afternoon. We are going absolutely sports mad on the show this afternoon for very obvious reasons and it's all happening here in Dubai as well. We'll be joined now by Matthew Tate, the General Manager, Fessel Director of the Emirates Dubai Sevens. Um, This is a really surreal moment for me, Matt. How are you? I'm fine. How are you, Helen? I'm good. So I used to watch you play at Falcons all the time. So when I saw your name <laughs> pop up, I was like, no way is that Matthew Tate. So yeah, I'm from Hexham. And I was like, and he's a Shotley Bridge boy. How are you going? Uh, I'm all good. Yeah, slightly different uh, surroundings to uh, the Hexham and the, Hexham and the North East. A in little bit enjoying. warmer here. A little bit warmer. But I'm always really fascinated to hear... Um, what professional athletes go on to do in terms of pursuing their passions and you know starting businesses, and you, as I said, professional athlete, you were cap for England um, for you were playing 15, 15 year career. So, for um, tell us a little bit about what you're up to at Sevens. What's what does the the new job entail? I'm still our general manager of the the Emirates Dubai Sevens and the stadia down here. So I started only about two weeks ago. So it's very oh much in at the deep end and the final stages of organising what. Uh, what's going to be an amazing festival this year. It, um, it is a legendary. I mean, it's not just an occasion in the sporting calendar. It's it's one in the social calendar as well. And I feel like that's one of the big misconceptions about the Sevens. It's, you know, for anyone who hasn't been, it, it's like, well, I'm not a massive rugby fan. It's like, well, there's so much more to it than just that. Tell us a little bit about what you've got planned. 
I mean, yeah, you're right. There's so much more outside the sport. There's obviously we've got the uh, the HSBC World Seven Series, which underpins everything. But sat around that, we've taken feedback from everyone from last year's tournament and amplified the experience here. So we've got there's something for everybody, be that families with young kids, through to teens, through to everybody else to enjoy. You know, we've got so many different food options. It would take me ten minutes to, to list them out. Um, and then alongside that, you know, we've got the globally acclaimed musical performances across our three stages across the across the three days. Now, the timing's fantastic because it's falling over the long weekend. You're going first the 3rd of December. Um, and you've also got participation sports as well. Tell us a little bit about those because, as we said, it's not just the rugby. No, so it's, I mean, it's amazing. We've got 5,000 athletes um, from 32 countries across our, our invitational sports so we've got the the rugby um which has kind of always underpinned this event but in recent years we've added the, the cricket which is partnered by with Dolsko and we've got the ball with McKeel um and that continues to grow year on year and new this year we've also added um kind of an inclusive fitness competition called Wadon um and that's again across elite athletes through to those just looking for a, a good social experience um push push themselves to the limits on the day and then finish up and enjoy everything else at the festival last off. So where are people getting tickets at the minute and are there still any available? Because as I said, hot ticket over the long weekend. Where can people come along? Yeah, we're still, we're still tickets available, but they are going quick. So I'd urge anyone that wants to, uh, to come down and join us for the weekend to get onto it. So they can find tickets at DubaiRugby7s.com or at Dubai7s on Instagram are the best places to... Uh, to, to get your tickets and come down and come down and join us and uh, experience the, the, the festival that we've got going down at the Seven Stadium. I think you're going to absolutely love it. I think I know it's very different when you've got your lanyard on and your kind of you know professional hat on as an organizer, but it is such a legendary weekend here in Dubai. From as you say, family stuff, fancy dress, food, and yeah, the on-pitch action as well. What are, any predictions for uh, how the matches are going to unfold over those few mm-hmm. days, Matt? Well, I think uh, Australia seemed to be the team to beat in the men's competition this year. So we've got 16 men team, men's teams across four pools. Australia, off the back of their performance in Hong Kong, would be favourites in that. And then across the, the women's competition, again, 12 teams across three, three pools. The US, Australia um, and New Zealand are always uh, very, very competitive in that competition. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be an amazing, amazing uh, competition on the pitch. Um, and I urge everyone to come down and, and, and join us down here. You're not tempted to get your own boots on? Uh, I've, those, those days are gone. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, thank you so, so much. Welcome to Dubai. Great to have someone with such an amazing sporting pedigree who really understands, obviously, the game, but a lot around the social aspect as well. It's going to be a great few days. And uh, yeah, well, I'll see you there. It's going to be a great one. Matthew, take absolute pleasure. Take care of yourself. And great to hear the accent as well. <laughs> yeah, thanks. thanks take Cheers. Care. Take care. Bye. There you go. Sevens, first, the third. There really is something for everyone. So much around encouraging youth sports, um, not just the rugby. You've got netball, cricket, um, fitness is there, as Matt said as well. Healthy Habits. On Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Some tragic news out of the UK last week. A two-year-old boy died due to extensive mould in his family's flat. And here in the UAE, we also have issues with mould. We all use ACs, of course, and build-up in those units can severely affect our health. Now, what can we do about it? Is your home something of a hazard? More than you might realise. Joining us now, Dr Khalid Shukri, a functional medicine physician from Wealth in Jumeirah. Doctor, before we start talking 
mould or biotoxins, as uh, experts refer to it as. When we say functional medicine, what what does that mean? What do you treat and how do you do it? Okay, functional medicine, in fact, is uh, a new type of uh, field of medicine and it uh, goes to identifying the root cause of the disease and it has a system biological approach and in fact if you go to a conventional physician what they see they treat the symptoms but in functional medicine we see to the root cause identify correct it and we can reverse it in some cases can you give me some examples i mean the the immediate example that came to mind there was migraine because it's something i've suffered with in the past and i've been given some really great painkillers <laughs> yes 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 migraine is one of the examples that we can be can be treated in a holistic approach because we don't see the symptom we see the per- person as a, a holistically so causes of migraine could be from toxins, could be from allergens, could be from food, could be from environmental. So we dig into the history mm-hmm. very detailed in order to identify the cause and correct it. We are talking about respiratory issues today, which is what this little boy tragically passed away of um, in the UK. So I wondered if you could perhaps speak to how air quality in our home or if, you know, the workplace can affect our health overall. Yes, uh, air quality is very important, especially indoor. And in fact, uh, we have to know that the poor ventilation in workplace or home is a factor. Another is the difference in temperature, high or low, uh, humidity issues. Sometimes if you have buildings nearby or it's uh, construction or renovating has gone into the, the area you're staying. Mm-hmm. Uh, specific dust and contaminants from molds and other uh, fragrances and chemicals or clean supplies all affect the indoor quality of the, of the health of the person. Can we come back to temperature there? What's optimum from your point of view as a functional medicine um, practitioner? I'm just thinking about how I can argue with my husband about the air conditioning wars we have at home. What, yeah. what, what's, what's best health-wise? Well, the normal temperature should be a normal temperature, 37.5. But I think the most important in regards to temperature is, is you have to detect the dust. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I always advise people to have uh, air purifier, which is a high brand quality which is a HEPA filter, which can also has a major issue in the cleaning the dust and making your environment more clean. Dr. Shukri, let's talk um, air conditioning. Um, that build-up of mould, what are some of the symptoms that people could be looking out for today in their own health or, or that of their children, those around them? Yes. Uh, most common symptoms could be headache, could be fatigue, uh, allergic issues, uh, weight gain, um, uh, food sensitivities also, and at the same time, they have mental clarity, decrease in cognitive function or memories, uh, cough, shortness of breath. These issues should be taken seriously, especially if you have uh, issues concerning about more or poor ventilation at home. So what can we do then? Let's start with prevention of buildup of mould, of those biotoxins in our home, and then we'll come on to, I guess, ridding our body of them. So how can we prevent this build up in our home. You mentioned air purifiers there. Yes, air purifiers one. The other is uh, the person should detect uh, locations of the molds. And AC is very important to that advice that every person uh, has home to de- to have a company to clear their uh, AC filter every 3 to 6 months. The other issue is also to detect from the person person to see in the in the washrooms uh, under the carpets above the cabinets. These are where the the hub for the mold development especially when you have poor ventilation or humid uh, areas. Mm-hmm. So these are the places you have to, to find, search for it. So let's say, unfortunately, we have come to see someone like you. We've identified that mould is a source of respiratory problems. Maybe it is weight gain. Maybe it's a reactivity to, to food and chemicals. What can we do to rid our systems of those biotoxins? 
number one, definitely you have to avoid triggering factors. That's number one. But the second is how you purify your... Well, just to go to the symptom, the most, the first sign is weight gain. The second is constipation. The third is fatigue. And then the fourth is acne and other systemic symptoms. Now, if you go to purify or clear the biotoxins, we have to remember that in the United States, 20% of population cannot um, eliminate the biotoxins. So we don't have data about other countries, but we assume it should be 10 to 20% of population cannot eliminate biotoxins. Based on this, we have to see that, okay, what, how can we uh, clear the toxins? It's very important to know that the response of the host is, depends very from person to another mm-hmm. and the amount of the inhalation or ingestion of the biotoxins. So walking, drinking water two liters, uh, avoiding processed foods, uh, avoiding any corn or sea or vegetable oils, these are sources of biotoxins. Also, in the same time, we look for uh, vegetables. Vegetables are like uh, broccoli, artichoke, asparagus. These are and the most effective uh, 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 vegetable to clear the biotoxin is okra, which has about 50% effectiveness in clearing biotoxins. Wow, there you go. Uh, we have to remember also that um, uh, sauna is uh, another mode to get uh, type of exercise, include walking, uh, Tabata, high-intensity training, sweating, all clears the toxins. But we have to remember this 20% population who does not eliminate the biotoxins, then they have to go to the next step is mm-hmm. to clarify what is the right, right diagnosis because there is a big hope for them. Because usually these cases, they have six months debilitating illness, which you cannot figure out. And then there's a treatment for it. Doctor, thank you so much for your time today. Just got a message from Al saying, I lived in an apartment on the palm. I was sick for six months until I discovered a scene from aliens in the AC vent. After getting it cleaned, I got better almost immediately. Do, guys, and don't don't take this uh, AC cleaning for granted. Make sure you are taking some responsibility for that, whether you're a landlord or a tenant, because we do have some control over our environment. And if anyone does want to find out more, Dr. Khaled Shukri is there at Wealth in Jumeirah. He's been in Dubai just two weeks, so give him a warm welcome, but already treating all sorts of issues from fatigue, um, anti-aging. So please do uh, go and go and visit him. Thank you so much, Doctor. Really do appreciate your time. Functional medicine physician, uh, Dr. Khaled Shukri. This content is for informational purposes only and is not intend to substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.